1: like Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Dane More NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. I'm recording today with Britt Robson of Min Post. A little timestamp of you know where we're at when we're recording this is Wednesday afternoon uh, before the Wolves play the Sacramento Kings on, on Wednesday evening. So if something, anything happened in, in that game that is of uh, meaning, no, no, we are currently blind to that as, uh, as we sit here recording today. So Britt, you wrote your weekly column this week today on on Wednesday uh, rather than Tuesday, so that's what we're recording today, yep. and and this time decided to focus on the Timberwolves defense this season, which I thought was an, it, not only an interesting topic, but an interesting time because the defense has been better at certain parts of the season than it is right now, coming off of a good game, I, w- I would note that, but... I think that kind of strengthened your point in that you wanted to talk about this team now, what thirteen games into the season, having really exceeded your expectations defensively. What what went into this topic for today's call?
2: Well, part of it is uh, I think the fan base is really cynical right now, and I think no, (laughs) and I think that. for a while I was flummoxed because um I really had good I had a good vibe about this team and 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 really thought that they would get out of the gate a lot faster than they have. True. Um and so that kind of you know, you get a deer, in the headlights look like, hey, wait, have I misread this or what's going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh and so you know, I wrote a column uh one of the times, either the last time or the time before, just talking about the fact that they're kind of uh, stained by their legacy, which, you know, was one of my attempts to try to explain this uh, this this weird lethargy where the, everything about the Wolves that you might have expected going in has been inverted. Uh, you thought they'd be a really good – I thought they'd have a really good offense. I just didn't see how they wouldn't. And I was hopeful for a decent defense. Uh, but I didn't expect it to be as good as it is. And so I began to say to myself, because I like to go against the grain as long as I'm sincere in my opinion, and the grain right now is uh, that they're a bad team, and here we go again, same old Timberwolves. Well, even if they're a bad team, they're not the same old Timberwolves. They're playing the best defense since Rick Adelman left in 2013 or something. You know, and um, there is it isn't a fluke i mean there are a lot of good players they they have the they have the best handful of quality defenders that they've had since you know since maybe peck and karolinko and uh <laughs> you know i mean rubio i mean there were like 3 or 4 really good guys in that album in defense too um so anyway uh
1: so so Brent, let me let me let me jump in here um yeah I thought because we're we're sitting together at the games and we're talking, and it's an ongoing I,
2: argument between us. Well,
1: I I honestly thought because I I do know that that you like to go against the grain, and I know right. that you you like or try and be authentic in that and right. and finding a, a lane to go against the grain. But honestly, I, I kind of thought you were wish casting something hmm. here, just in our conversations, uh-huh. wanting the defense to be better. Mm-hmm. And and I'm glad you wrote about it for that reason, because one in our conversations I at the games, I've been disagreeing some that it had been as good as, as you thought it did. But I'm glad you wrote about it because you highlighted reasons it has been better. And I thought. I know I no longer think you're wishcasting, I, I think there I think <laughs> well, there tough. are I, I think there I think there are genuinely things to be optimistic about. I think my pushback to you in our conversations, and I guess slightly in the column, is, is saying that the defense is good based on where they rank statistically. I don't think that is the reason to believe in this team. Obviously, it's very much still boosted by the first five games of the season when they rank second on defense. Now these last eight games, they're more like 25th in defense if you isolate for those times. So I don't think, I don't think stats is the argument, which is why I'm glad you made other arguments in it namely highlighting the handful of players like you said who are strong at it and also the areas where they are weak you pointed out that they the defense the, the defensive rebounding point was a really good one they very much they very clearly rank last in defense on this team but you pointed out when they give up offensive rebounds that they can test those offensive rebounds really well so there's a there's a handful of things in there that me a skeptic of this defense made me go okay like i i think i think there's something here and i like that there's more personnel on this team individually mm-hmm. that i like um than i have you know since the jimmy butler year
2: yeah and, and i think the other thing that speaks well for this defense is that they are not playing a style of play that yeah. ensures good defense I mean, it isn't like they're throwing everything into being a good defense. This is this defense was designed to be adequate. And the fact that it's better than adequate is really pretty remarkable, given that the top three in minutes are still pretty shady defenders, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, Ant, uh, Kat and Cat, and D'Lo, nobody's ever going to put those guys on the all defensive team.
1: And, well, Ant, Ant will put himself on the all-defensive team. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> hey, he, he had his best defensive – you would agree with that, right? Best defensive yeah, oh, game of yeah. the season no, against I thought, and,
2: and, you know, I, it turned out to be 2,800 words, and I, I was already like half-hour late to my very, very patient and generous editor. Um, otherwise, I would have gotten into a little bit more about uh, – I wanted to get into the, the question I asked Finch the other night, which is, yes. don't you think that this – this team now has a defensive identity better than an offensive identity. And he was saying, we are just missing good shots, which I don't believe quite frankly. Um, and we should be both. And what I would have liked to say, if i you know, gone over 3000 words and, and really further bedeviled my editor was to say, um, what would happen if this team prioritized defense what would happen if you if your accountability rested upon how well you defend um and that's true of the scrubs but it's not true of the big free well they'd and slow that, down a
1: lot right and and that, don't you think and that's and the and biggest that, thing
2: and, and th- they also though the other thing i remember uh and this this is going to be another and they, this may even wind up being a future column somewhere down the road but um finch emphasized accountability a lot more in his half season last year than he has this season he benched Mm -hmm. guys who didn't play defense and i think some of that had to do with the fact that it's easy to be the hard ass when you're coming in and it's not your team and you haven't had a training camp and all this other stuff and it's harder to do it when you've been with these guys preaching certain fundamentals from day one and you know that you have a long-term contract and they have long-term contracts. And it's a pivotal year for everybody. Everybody's kind of under the gun and you're less likely to be quick with your decision-making. And I think that's a mistake in this particular case. I wish that he did uh, put a little more pressure on the, you know, especially on offense, but also to some extent on defense. Um, you well, know, that's going
1: to come, man. I mean, well, if the losing continues.
2: I don't know. You know, I really don't know. I think that. Um,
1: well, I hope so. I should the, say that. The,
2: the Finch idea of letting them play and letting the, the team sort itself out. Right. Um, I think that is way past its due date on offense now. Um Well, that's what I, I was
1: going to say, man. Isn't it fascinating that like, so this idea with Chris Finch is that he is this offensive mastermind for the reason that he. He understands how to let players play freely, like and randomly, effectively freely and randomly. That was the idea. What we've seen happen
2: is he's allowed. Well, (laughs) we've seen it on the The other end. The effectively part isn't
1: working. (laughs) Right, true, true. No, the offensive part, we could talk about that. The offensive part isn't working at all. But defensively, it's the same ethos. He's allowing them to play freely, randomly, and effect. sometimes chaotically affect in an effective manner.
2: And that's going to be another, I mean, this was, again, this is all these ideas I had in my head for this column and maybe two thirds of made it way in. But another uh, idea is the more chaotic the Wolves defense makes it generating turnovers, Mm -hmm. scrambling around the better chance you unlock the big three on offense, because This team is chaos oriented on offense. They do better. Look at the Laker game, where all of a sudden they started to get some turnovers. Somebody hit a three. The next thing you know, everybody's scrambling. I mean, that offense was not a set offense when they got 43 points against the Lakers. They were guys coming down, just jacking threes and, you know, and whipping the ball around and everybody moving. And, I don't think there was a single play called for the entire quarter. I don't know. I mean there may be no, no more than half a dozen plays called in an entire game on this team. <laughs>
1: right.
2: So Well they you know, they
1: want to electrocute you. Like that that's the goal
2: and without the stray voltage. That's, <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> true. <laughs> that's true. That's stray voltage, man. That's that was genius, man. That guy's a poet. He
1: is he's he's he's, he's what we're talking about is is Chris Finch referred to I don't know. What what would you even what Cat's would you even call jostling it?
2: Jostling in the paint against double teams where he just exaggerates his elbow movements and flails around and uh just generates a phenomenal amount of performative energy to very little effect. Is definitely stray voltage. I mean it's it's a perfect description of the uh weird inefficiency of both energy and production that happens. It looks like there's a lot going on, but as a matter of fact, it's like one of those little, uh, you know, you wind up one of those toys and it starts to do all this stuff, you know? Um, I'm I'm,
1: I'm concerned. It's good. I mean, a lot of people are concerned about the the Carl stray voltage and, you know, they'll use the term flopping and, and this and that. And it's kind of an energy suck in a way to the team, which I think, you know, some of that's for sure. True. What I'm most concerned about, is I think that stray voltage is what has led Carl to get hurt in the past specifically mm-hmm. specifically the one he drives establishes a little bit of contact and, and he's falls. so damn big and gangly that he falls back and both times he broke his right wrist mm-hmm. the same right wrist was driving on the right side of the floor first time was in Oklahoma City driving the, I think it was against like, Miscala. Right,
2: right.
1: and then he fell back and he he hits he hits Mescala. Falls back trying to draw the foul, or did draw the foul, and catches himself with his right wrist, and and that happened again in Utah in what was that, the third game of last season, yeah. where it was the same thing against Gobert. Yeah, it's
2: never the same, really. Right.
1: Well, he broke his wrist, I know. Or, or you know, and and so I have concern about it. And it really struck me because he was talking about in his his post game press conference after the Phoenix game. is like, "I'm going to be here, you know. I'm going to be here, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to." What I the best thing I can do is be impactful and and show up and and do what I can bring to the table. And and to his credit, for ninety whatever percent of his career, he has done, you know, he he does that. He brings Absolutely. that offensive production, except when he's hurt. And both of his key injuries in his career are directly attributable to the times he's had too much voltage, causing himself to fall over, catch himself with his wrist and break it.
2: Yeah, I would agree. That's all a good point. Um, Thank and, you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. I, I think yeah. you tweeted something to that effect without uh, getting in a chapter and verse about it as well as you did there. But beyond that, um, I also think in addition to being uh, a, a courting of injury, it is also an unintentional signal for the refs to swallow their whistle. I mean, no ref, no self respecting ref is going to give that kind of performative theater credence. I mean,
1: particularly this year, particularly this year when the rules have right. somewhat adjusted to account for that.
2: Right, right. I mean, the only way Cat could get that call is if Jade McDaniels was guarding him. <laughs>
1: Uh, well, that's that's a good tie into more of the defensive stuff because that that's the next thing I'm going to write about is Jaden because I think he's been one of the most like perplexing elements of this season and I, and I haven't done this yet but I it's a I, shame I I okay so I I haven't watched it all back yet but I'm going to watch all his defensive possessions at you know some point later this week and and off of the top of my head what my mind or gut says is that. Jaden McDaniel's defense has actually been good this year. Yes. And and it is very much skewed and will be statistically skewed particularly in those catch-all metrics that really negatively account for fouling, which is, you know, which is fouling's bad. Like I, I get right. it, but it in terms of like if we're grading the play, you're grading the film, I don't think from what I've watched thus far of Jaden McDaniel's this season that he is defending poorly at all, which really does inspire room for upside because i think the real problem with him has been on the offensive side of the ball having almost no inclusion in in the offense which which makes sense to some end right like but he that has be begun to
2: used... change which i really like he's been much well, because he started since coming off the bench
1: which okay but that first game off the bench was against the clippers right yeah and he and got, he got put in, in trouble right well he got put in the the same pile in tyloo's mind of we don't have to guard this guy. The first two, the first two times the wolves played the Clippers, Zubots quote unquote guarded Vanderbilt or a and Batum guarded Cat. And the plan was if a or Vanderbilt are out there, Zubots don't guard them, stay in the lane. But when Torian and Prince or Jade McDaniels are out there, we're gonna adjust accordingly. They're quote unquote shooting threats, offensive threats, we're gonna we're gonna do that. What happened in the third loss to the Clippers, is McDaniel's was also disregarded in terms but, of being an offense. But offensive then he
2: put th- the ball on the deck and got some points.
1: Well, he he got he took some shots. He took some shots. He shot four of eleven from the field in that game, and he got to the free throw line six times, which tripled his free throw total on the season. Right. So so uh, that's what I'm saying. Like credit to him. I'm just saying, part of that offensive inspiration comes from the fact that he was not being guarded, yeah. which is the plan now. All. Almost every team, other than the Lakers, who had the worst game plan ever against the Wolves. Right. But you know, the, right. typically what we're seeing is Jay Crowder, you know, right. he's guarding Cat Patoom's guarding Cat, and right, right. and the centers just the centers just lurking, ignoring Vanderbilt akogi or McDaniel's. So I McDaniel's is the I think he has the best skill set to be able to
2: exploit that though, which is encouraging. And back on defense for a minute. I mean, I'd love to talk about this a little for your future column because you probably noticed that I use stuff that you give me in these podcasts in my columns. I just shouted out one where uh, I gave uh, Vanderbilt uh, an an (laughs) amputated right arm and said he would still shoot the same percentage. That's directly out of you constantly reminding me that he is overwhelmingly left-handed. So Mm -hmm. Anything that you could steal from me, feel free to do. And I'll offer up a couple of things, in my opinion, about Vanderbilt now, which are, I mean, mean, McDaniels McDaniels. now, uh, which are that um, a lot of his defensive troubles are ridiculous matchups. I mean, he's 185 pounds. I mean, come on. I don't care how good a defensive guy you are. If, if the word out on you is that this guy likes to create space so that he can close for the late block and somebody outweighs you by 40 pounds, they are going to collapse that space and they right. are going to draw fouls on you. And then the second thing is... Well,
1: well, hold on. He Also, it's ridiculous in two ways. He's guarding up big guys right. situationally when he's playing power forward, but it's also commonplace that he's he got a Chris Paul. The, like. Yeah the Majority of the game. They took Patrick Beverly off of him to put Jaden McDaniels on Chris Paul once Chris Paul got going. So it's and Chris
2: Paul it, disappeared for a while.
1: Yeah, but then he got going again.
2: But yeah. it, it, it's oh, more yeah, so. Quarter, right, right,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. The fourth quarter. It, it's more so. I mean, he is he guards a random array of players, which he is physically outmatched in different ways to be able to do. sometimes he's too small and sometimes he's too big, you yeah. know, which ultimately I think is a credit to him
2: to be able to guard one through four. Versatility. The other thing I want to mention that I don't think Jaden gets enough credit for is those, uh, I think miscellaneous calls them stray plays or unknown plays or whatever. These places where the, there's a loose ball hmm. or there is, uh, nobody really knows how to mark this down on the sheet. McDaniels is in the middle of, of handsy scrums all the time. He's in the middle of uh, making loose balls happen, keeping loose balls, staying loose, grabbing loose balls, whatever. He's Covington
1: Um, without the hand strength.
2: That's a really good, concise way to say it. Exactly. That's exactly right. He has the instincts of a Covington in some respects, but neither the experience nor the strength to make it really happen.
1: And, you know, to be fair, Covington has some of the Covington best hands. The best. Of yeah, yeah. Glovington, right? That, that was. Yeah, right. That, that was. That hey, was. Hey, by thing. the
2: way, just a real quick aside it has nothing mm-hmm. to do with what we're talking about, except that Perfect. you 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 said <laughs> Glovington. Um, when I was looking at defensive metrics, Gary Payton Jr. Yeah, the monster. <laughs> he, Kip off he. the old block. Well,
1: okay. He. I mean, I love how they use him, yeah. and. And we've we've talked about this for for two years now. I and it was mocked by a lot of people, and probably rightfully so, <laughs> given what the results have been. I I was saying that Josh Kogi should play power forward for like two years. I've been saying right, that, right? Right. But my reasoning was one getting as a
2: screener. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah. I wanted him to be used as a screener, which we which we've never seen offensively, because you want him to be on the floor for the energy he, he inspires, and, and right. he does a lot of the Gary Payton things. Yeah. But I love how Golden State unabashedly uses him like a screener, and really, man, it's like Bruce Brown last year in Brooklyn. It's right. it's the same thing, and I, I don't, I
2: don't He's know enough about. He's such a screener that he gets ignored, and then all yeah. of a sudden, boom, there he is. You know, I mean, uh, he he gets found by people because he knows how to cut, which Okogie does. Okogie just can't finish. Right, um, but but I do love. The defensive metrics in particular, Gary Payton gets Hmm. all kinds of deflections, loose balls. I mean, the dude is a scrapper. Oh, he's he's right up your alley. He's a rich man's Wiggins.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back to talk a little bit more about these other defensive players with Britt. Today's episode is brought to you by 20 by 20 Solutions, a Minneapolis-based technology consulting company that works with your business to help you build and sustain success. A great front office puts together a winning team with a coach who can put together a winning strategy. When leadership does its job and it all comes together, that means success. Success in business isn't any different. Business leaders need to find the right mix of technology, strategy, and talent to make things really work. And that's never been truer for growing companies. 20 by 20's team has helped grow companies from thousands of customers to tens of millions by helping businesses across a wide range of industries from consumer technology and healthcare to manufacturing and even human flight. Reach out to Clark and Ben, who are Wolves fans and fans of this show, by emailing them at team at 20x20solutions.com. That's T-E-A-M at 20x20solutions.com. And their team will review your needs and help you put together a plan before you need to make any commitments. 20x20 20 20 solutions, technology, workflow, architecture, strategy. They're your sixth man on a winning team. All right, we're back with Britt Robson of MinPost. just wrote a piece for Post on the Timberwolves' defense title. Let me get the title right here. Defense. Yes, defense has become a hidden pleasure of the Wolves' season thus far. Uh, we've, we've talked about Jaden McDaniels specifically. We mentioned uh, you know, Vanderbilt and Akogi a little bit in passing. We can hit on them a little bit more if you want, but the as you put it the, the the players who epitomize the defensive identity on this team the dude is patrick beverly and and what he's been able to provide for this team with his defensive just wit um amidst his hot-headedness right that that he yeah. understands the nuance of how to guard on this team and i think that when i just look at oh this team's 12th in defense on the season um i there's there's nobody in my mind to that you can give more credit to for that boost than 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 Patrick Beverly this season.
2: Yeah. I mean imagine if they didn't have it. Imagine if it was, you know, they're riding with uh D and and J at the, palm, right. the point guard position and uh um and have to use Beasley consequently a lot more often on the perimeter defense. Mm. Um, which by the way, for the third straight year, Beasley is the worst. Defensive net rating of anybody on the team. Um, he because mm, you I know, know you I'm like a little them. bit higher on. Them.
1: No, I just I like the improvement. I like I the improvement. Too. I like off the improved awareness. Of, I don't yes. think the
2: Im- the results have necessarily improved.
1: Yeah, but
2: I, I do. I do I don't think know. he's 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 got a clue. It's just that he hasn't uh, solved the puzzle with the clue he has.
1: I what I'm really going off of when I say that is I you know. When they traded from Malik Beasley, I did one of my defense binge watches, right, yeah. of him. Right. And and in Denver. And the awareness right. was a zero. It was right. it was a, it was really it was really a zero. And and I think some things have come together for Beasley, who let let's overall say is is you know not having a strong season coming in out of shape, not shooting the ball as well as he he can. But really the a positive nugget I feel is that he has improved his awareness and understands the scheme. So I put in my notes when I was reading your column that he almost deserves to be put in the in the group <laughs> that you said players who I opinion, epitomize well, his the deflections defensive identity. Are actually
2: pretty good. I will say his deflections are good. I think Finch wants
1: some of the identity to be understanding of awareness and rotations and while he doesn't inspire chaos in the way a Kogi and Vanderbilt do credit to them, he does epitomize what the structure of the defense is when they're playing, when they're playing at the level of the screen. The problem I've noticed with Beasley is when they're in drop coverage, he is not as effective because that's asking him to do different things. And the wolves, like we make a lot of, would make a lot of the, the change in their defensive scheme this season. A lot of the times they're still playing drop and they're, they're, they're functioning their, their defense similarly. Like uh, we'll see what they do against the Kings tonight. It's, you know, it, it, I don't have a measurement of what it is, but it's not that far from 50-50 of aggressive defensive scheming versus conservative drop scheming. And and I think that hurts Beasley but a But I do bit.
2: think that um, they still – I read a column. I can't even remember where it was, but somebody wrote that they underwent the biggest change away from drop of any team in the NBA. Mm. And I think that's probably true – because you can go from 90% to 50%, yeah, and that's saying. still a really big
1: right. change. <laughs> I'll take the over on 90 there too from, from the, the Vantiple right. days, which is. Yeah. Which, yeah. you know, I mean, we both bagged on on that a lot, and and I hammered the drum of like, you got to change up the defensive scheme, You got to change up the defensive scheme. And um, what I've learned this season is the important, I think, of diversity of coverages. Right. Is that is not being one way or the other adjusting for the personnel doing that. We've even seen some zone. They're terrible at zone execution, but you I know, think that's I, modern day defense. What?
2: Because they're lazy. You <laughs> cannot, I mean, seriously. Yeah. A zone defense is only as good as your attention to it. If mm. you play an alert zone, it is miles better than if you say, okay, I'm in a zone zone. I just need to make sure that nobody comes into this little square I'm standing in, you know, yeah. and that's what I see them doing. They, um, they don't have any proactive connectivity when they run their zone. And it's just disgusting. Quite frankly, well, it's
1: showing up in the numbers. I, yeah. this was maybe a game or two ago. I looked it up, just synergy tracks, points per possession allowed in man versus zone. And only 17 teams had run zone this season. So it's not, for none of, for a lot of the teams, it's not a huge sample size, but of those 17 teams, the Wolves rank 16th in points allowed per possession when they when they do zone up, and that totally, you know, passes the eye test of like they have no idea what right. what they're what they're doing in those spots. And, and I think and, that's a good point by you.
2: And and what I will also say, uh, just because to tweak you a little bit, even though I'm I'm kind of on the Nas bandwagon now, they run a lot of zone with Nas's in the game. It's probably Nas and Cat Minutes, right? Yeah, a lot of that. But also, I, I see them run zone when when Nas is the center sometimes just mm. because I think that they uh, – uh, because Nas is quick, which is good to be quick in the zone. Um, what a development.
1: Think, yeah. That Nas is actually a quick player. That's true. I, I know. That's I know. a true thing.
2: Well, they both are. They're both quicker, which it does have actually help the defense some. Uh,
1: mm-hmm.
2: One of the things I did want to mention – And did mention in the column for as much as I rag on Delo and Ant and Cat on defense, this isn't happening in a vacuum. It isn't just four guys. The Wolves are playing decent chaos scramble defense. I mean, they, they, um, Delo has a lot of deflections and some decent loose ball recoveries. Ant is, you know part of it, Ann has so many minutes, but DL's boxing out. Dilo's boxing out too. Dilo's boxing out. That's right. I mean, there's a lot of things, all the people are trying to make progress, and I only wish that they had that same camaraderie on offense. Um mm. you heard me ask Kath the other night. I thought it was a pretty direct question. What mm. I basically was saying are you guys ever gonna sort this out? I mean, what I actually said was, has anybody among the three of you, have the three of you sat down right. and talked about best situations, uh, ways to get touches for people in the right spots at the right time? And he wanted no part of that question. It was uh,
1: an interesting back and forth, though. I, I played it on the last pod, so I, a lot of the listeners probably oh, okay, know exactly good. the the whole like two minute back and forth of of you guys going. I I don't know. I wouldn't characterize it as that. I wouldn't say he wanted no part of it. Oh, he, good. I think he. Don't you think he kind of like. He said, well, to be honest, we haven't had that conversation yet. Wasn't that the answer you were looking
2: for? Yeah, but I think he he was fine with that, though. I think what I wanted was to, uh, you know, set him off on one of those. uh, I mean, if if ever there was a time to be self-righteous, you know, and of course then that's when he's equanimous, you know. That's, uh, you know, I just do what I do and we all, you know. And then he he went into that weird segue about – the, the play, play that you saw him you saw finch call for a two-pointer you told me that finch had just called a two for a no, two-pointer no. in the huddle and cat says I that play it. was supposed to go for me go to me on the three-point line i told d well that's not going to happen you know what revisionist history that was a weird uh you know that's when you go
1: yeah not sure i believe it
2: well i mean <laughs> Yes, I'm not sure that you believe somebody saying something that you saw exactly or differently. I don't. I can't understand why you wouldn't believe it. Um, I mean, it's just the weirdness factor. There is. Um, I know. It's, con- it's confounding. You know. I mean, it's. Uh, and I say all this. You know. In some ways, you know, I love quirky guys, and in some ways, it makes Cat more lovable to me because he is is obviously. He's got some things that um, he just needs to work through in his own way, and they're fascinating to me. Uh, and 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 I think
1: if I could say this just for everyone listening, like I I think uh, you know, Ant always when he talks post game, he always says something goofy, and one of us tweets it out, and and all this, and it and it goes viral, and it I think it it distorts the perception that Anthony Edwards is a spokesperson of this team in, in mm-hmm. some way. Yeah. Um I don't know if the words avoid or or what but Ant does not do as many post game press conference post game press conferences or media availabilities as Carl Anthony Towns does, you know, Cat always comes and while sometimes his answers are quirky, I I give him credit in the middle He shows of, up. I I give him credit for that. Yeah. I think he's all, I mean, they've lost eight to nine as we record this. And I, I think every time he's been requested, he's shown up and he's answered those, those questions. And uh, I know and that, that's, answers that's honesty. part of the job. I mean, the
2: thing that, I mean, yeah. again, quirky, you're not his quirky. version
1: of honest. <laughs> yeah.
2: Exactly. yeah. Well, I mean, but but, but I, whatever. It's his I really right. yeah. They are. Uh, that's, what I, that's what makes it so uh, fascinating is they are honest, but he also, I mean, Chris Hein wrote the whole column about um, how everyone else thought that the Golden State game was great. And Kat was disheartened by it. I was pleased to hear that, that goddamn Golden State game, this whole idea that, Oh, they rallied and that was whistling past the graveyard. And yeah, they won the subsequent Laker game, but don't tell me that the Genesis of the Laker win was this stirring comeback in the Golden State game where they lost their cornerstone Ooh. defender and the team got hot Draymond, from three yeah. and the team got hot from three for like 5 minutes and as soon as the game had to be won Golden State woke up and won it. I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, you know, I I I that's when I get impatient. I get impatient with these false reads of uh you know, if you gotta be optimistic, say, hey, our defense is kicking ass right now, and you know, or we have relied on on sweat equity denying points, uh, and that's why we are in every game, you know. Uh um, well if
1: they if the fight was an everyday thing, because there, I mean, then all right, like hang your hat on it. But while there's been games where they've been down by 18, 20 points and they've Fought in the second half, the third quarter, fourth quarter, "quote unquote," finished strong. There's also been games like that last Clippers game where right. they completely they folded the as room. soon as you know like, it wasn't even a. I mean, it was that was not even a basketball game. They quit. Right. Yes. So it it isn't like yeah we hear about this after pretty much every loss where it's like you know I'm I'm glad that we didn't let go of the rope we fought and you know sometimes that is true but ultimately. It feels like celebrating moral victories, and, and that's not okay.
2: And that's one of the things I have liked about Cat is he hasn't, you know, he got a, got his cue. And actually, to be quite honest with you, I thought the Phoenix game was a moral victory. I'll take that. You know, that was the most enjoyable game of the season by a country mile. Um, I, I really enjoyed the Milwaukee game too, but the Phoenix game. Um, there's nothing like watching really, really good players have to elevate themselves to their best selves right in front of your face against your the team you cover. I mean, Chris Paul was Chris Paul in full flower in that crunch time. Devin Booker was playoff caliber, De- Devin Booker. Um, you know, that's what I want to see. I want to, you know, when I go to the game. Wins and losses don't matter to me as much as players revealing themselves in full flower. And um, that's why this team's defense has been so heartening to me because so often in past wolf seasons, um, they just got buried and, and offenses knew that they could step on the gas at any time. And, and often
1: did at the beginning like, of the third oh, quarter. Remember when that was a thing? It was like come out yeah. and and every single right. team that the Wolves played was the Golden State Warriors in the first six minutes of the third quarter. I saw right. some crazy right. stat today that since uh, this is this is a, simple, a Gary Payton aside, basically, <laughs> but since Steve Kerr took over, this is nuts.
2: Oh yeah, so, I did, did see you see that?
1: that? Too. Yeah. Oh my god, they are what a the great Warriors coach are plus. Like fifteen hundred total yeah, points, seventy
2: thousand or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and the next and the closest second team best
2: is the first quarter, uh,
1: which you know, are the and, two
2: times you have you have to prepare your team for after a break in the action. Yeah, and, and, I and compared to other
1: one. teams, it was just yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. some of that it's having the the talent and stuff to do it, but the Wolves have always been a team on the opposite side of that spectrum, right? right? Not coming out in in the third exactly. quarter ready to and go. And you
2: can't tell me, I mean, this year maybe. Just his most masterful job. Nobody can tell me that Golden State has the most talented roster right now.
1: You no, know, yeah. they do have Belly though. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> Who's allowed to shoot threes beyond lip service? Uh, yeah, and sometimes he does. <laughs> and and Mister Big Shot. That was that was a name that did, didn't didn't uh, age well. Well, not not when he was here. Um, we haven't really talked about Aaron uh, Shout out to Aaron
1: <laughs> Uh, We we haven't really talked about... best moment. Let's take another break, and then let's talk specifically about the Cat, Ant, and Delo dynamic that now we're 13 games into this season. Uh, Just where those three are at and, and not synergize. Take a quick break. We'll be right back
0: with Britt. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All
1: right, we are back with Britt Robson of MinPost uh, discussing just the Timberwolves in general. Now 13 games through the season. As we record this, the last game the Wolves played was the Phoenix Suns game where Carl Anthony Towns had 35 points on the night, 16 points in the fourth quarter. But did not take a shot in the final 218 of that game when it was when it was winning time. And and it was the latest uh example, I guess, with this team of the inability for D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, and Anthony Edwards to synergize. And Britt, I I thought going back and watching that, as I'm sure you did for your column, it was very interesting to me to to juxtapose that against what Phoenix was doing on the other side of the ball, who in ways has a pretty similar big three, right? And Devin Booker, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton to what the Wolves have in their big three. And and I thought it was impressive by Phoenix the way that they included all three of those players um, to generate late game offense by consistently running high pick and roll with Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton, having Devin Booker rise up off of that through pin downs, made a couple of mid-range shots, hit hit Aiton on a roll one time when Cat overcommitted to Chris Paul on the perimeter. It was exactly what you would have loved to see the Wolves do, understanding that the usage of your big is going to be lower in those times as it was for Aiton, but not removed um, completely. So it just really, it, the Wolves' big three strikes me as kind of immature, inexperienced, not able to execute in these, these late game situations, like some of the better teams in, in the league can.
2: Yeah. Here's a thought experiment. Swap. Let's go. Swap D'Lo and Chris Paul. Have Chris Paul play with Aiden and a Booker and have, I mean, have Chris Paul play with uh cat and Ant, and have uh D'Lo play with uh, Aiden and Booker. What happens? Wolves win. <laughs> I don't know, but I, you uh, all I could say is it's unfair to D'Lo uh, and he, he he will suffer by comparison. So will every other point guard in the NBA yeah. when it comes to fourth quarter field floor generalship or whatever you want to call it. I mean, Ricky Rubio is very good at it, but nobody is as automatic from mid range when he wants to get his own shot as Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. And that separates him from all the other point guards in terms of the fact that he is unselfish until he decides he doesn't want to be unselfish anymore. And those times are always when his team needs a pick-me-up. Uh, he's he's one of the top five point guards of all time. I'm comfortable saying that. And um, Well, this game it,
1: epitomized it, man. I mean, and, he had two points through the situation. first three quarters, exactly. and he finished with 21. I mean, 19. Right. He had 19 right. in the fourth because he spent a lot of the time at the beginning of the game, as he always does, trying to get his guys off. Like right. if you look at at Chris Paul's first half scoring versus second half scoring, you know for years now that's an intention of his. And and quite frankly, it's it's kind of the opposite with D'Lo, where right. he tries to get himself off first, and also is a good One passer in his I own right. One of
2: I dislike about him the most: I uh, first five minutes of the first quarter, and some of it may be that he knows he's sitting early. And he doesn't want to come into a second rotation having gotten really very few shots off and no rhythm when he's going to be called upon to, you know, lead an offense. The second
1: unit, yeah.
2: But all I can tell you is um, if you need to shoot, at least put forth the effort to get yourself in a position shoot. I know he's a bad shot maker, but let's remember the first part of that phrase. He's shooting (laughs) bad shots, you know. And uh, when he's not making them, uh, it just ruins the early momentum for this team. And that happens a lot. I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah, he's been cold at the beginning of this season. And to be fair, he has been pretty solid in crunch time before Monday. Um, But uh, the fact of the matter is he's running the show for the 26th most efficient offense in the NBA that has Carl anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards as options. That's an indictment. That's an indictment. And consequently, um, take a page out of, you know, the Godhead's book. Get other people involved, like Chris Paul does. And then, what do you know? You're shot. If you want to be a crunch time hero... You'll look even better being a crunch time hero because your other teammates will give you the dap of knowing, hey, he got us off first. Let him go. As it is now, um, you know, I know that Kat Dilo is supposed to be buds, and I know that Ant is, you know, uh, been kind of unselfishly biding his time. No one can tell me that three – Sealing elite scorers, I wouldn't call them all elite scorers, but they all have the capability of being elite scorers. With a game on the line, watching somebody else lose that game is not something that you're going to be fine with. And if you are fine with it, quite frankly, that's a problem, too. Um, There needs to be a come to Jesus meeting between Finch and those three or those three on their own, or, you know, maybe even throw Beverly in the mix for God's sake, I don't care, but something has to happen where um, it isn't the elephant in the room. It Mm -hmm. isn't, you know, D'Lo attempted six shots in 103 seconds to end that game and made one of them. And the team lost by a bucket, a three-pointer.
1: And Cat Um, shot zero in that time.
2: And Cat shot zero. And to be fair to D'Lo, NBA just came out with a report that said he was fouled on that. I think it was the final shot. And maybe that would have gone in. Maybe it would have been two for six. Um, But the greater point is get everybody involved so that the opposing defense feels a multiple threat. If I'm an opposing defense I key on Delo the last two minutes of the game because I don't think he's giving it up very often. Hmm.
1: I think Britt, what this is also, and we're we're early in the season, but what this is also coming to a head in bringing is is a collision of the reality that this season season is decision time for a commitment to this trio on on the roster as right. currently constructed. And it's a bit confusing given the fact that Carl Anthony Towns, including this season, has three years left on his contract. D'Angelo Russell, including this season, has two left on his contract. But the nature of how contracts work in the NBA for max players is is that Carl Anthony Towns with two years left this summer and D'Angelo Russell with one year left this summer are both extension eligible. We heard D'Angelo Russell mention that in on media day that it's right. a it's a contract season for him. And I think, I think to a lot of people you go, well, they typically only give contract extensions to players who are kind of at least playing to their current level of of their contract. So, so I think with, you know, a a group of skeptical Wolves fans, they would say D'Angelo Russell has not yet lived to that max expectation yet here. So what is he doing talking about getting an extension? But I think that's bearing the lead in in the fact that he wants it and expects it. So so people are like, well, you know, just have him roll it over another year and then, you know, when he becomes a free agent, he either leaves, he goes somewhere else. Well, what we're seeing in the NBA now is if players don't if this ain't it, you know, where they're at, like they move on and you know, leverage their way out. So I think for D'Angelo Russell, he has to be he's going to be thinking about this this season or determining this season of whether or not this is it or not. Or if he wants to, if he wants to move on again, um, probably, you know, via trade and more shockingly, the same situation is coming together with Carl Anthony Towns, who is also Uh, extension eligible.
2: Okay. Two things. First of all, uh, shout out, you, you publicize my columns all the time. You're now writing, you're writing, Uh, bring, bring me the news. And I thought the best part of your uh, opening column to bring me the news, bring me the Is that where it's at? Yep. Folks who prefer reading to listening. I know there's just millions of you out there right now listening, but um, <laughs> Dane uh, wrote a really good column about, you know, how ant and cat divvy up usage to some extent, or at least figure out roles, leadership roles, whatever, for now and in the future. But the, I thought uh, almost like breaking reporting, even though, you know, it's been a fact laying out there that you happen to seize on, I think, at a particularly good time is this idea that, you know, Cat has a contract that he can exercise. And and that's a dynamic. Never discount the importance of money in the background when you're dealing with any kind of NBA chemistry. Yep. Uh, so there is that. So that's the first point I want to make. Uh, shout out to that column. And then the second point is DLO may be veering dangerously close to Terrell Spreewell territory uh, in saying, hey, you know, uh, let me go find a better deal. Dilo thought, I mean, uh, Spree thought that uh, three years at $21 million was chump change and he'd go find something and there wasn't anything better and he retired. Now, Dilo's not going to retire, but I will tell you if D'Lo thinks he can hit the open market and do better than thirty million a year, I await that comeuppance. You know, right. uh, because that's not going to happen.
1: Hmm. I yeah. I I well. It would he would need to have just a stellar final sixty-five games of this season to yes. you know to for the Wolves so going to
2: make un- unhappy noises about his deal under current performance.
1: Mm-hmm. Then,
2: then Dilo is is spree like delusional, right? And 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 if I'm Sasha Gupta, I say, oh my goodness, uh, you know, just don't promise me a good time here with this uh, <laughs> desire to you know mm-hmm. storm out the door. You know that gives me the excuse of packaging you for something and pivoting. And if this season continues the way it is, particularly on offense, a pivot in some way, shape or form is inevitable.
1: Right. And, and I think the more well impactful, obviously, if it happens, move would be Carl uh, Anthony Towns leaving. And uh-huh. I guess we can yeah. kind of collectively paint this, this picture, what, what the situation is, is at the end of the season, he'll have two years left and he's eligible to sign a 4-year 200 million dollar extension on top of that which is the exact same thing that Joel Embiid who was drafted one year before him just signed in Philadelphia like that's that's the book um or that's that's the path to be taken if he he wants to commit here he also has two other paths to be able to take which is one, the obvious one of you know requesting a trade and leveraging his way out of town uh, which, you know, happens with players when they're 26, 27 years old all the time. Uh, the other one, which I think is is a little bit more interesting because he's not a player of Joel Embiid's caliber or specifically Giannis Antetokounmpo's caliber, is what he could say is he could hold leverage and be like, no, you got to go all in this summer bringing me my guys and I will delay signing my extension for for another year until you prove to me that this is the place I want to be. That's what Giannis did in Milwaukee. That's what inspired Drew Holiday coming in and all the other moves, Milwaukee going into the luxury tax for the first time in decades, all all that.
2: That's what Kevin Garnett did post Cassell and Sprewell, and it just absolutely torpedoed the hmm. Timberwolves for the rest of their time there. He was one of the worst talent scouts, you know, ever. Mike James is my fourth guy, (laughs) Troy Hubson. Trenton Hassel, you know, get my guys in here. Yeah, right. great. So, well, I, I and then think Wayne in- Casey fired because Wayne Casey couldn't coach those guys. I mean, give me a break. Right. I love KG, but um, that that yeah. was not his finest hour. Well, um, it's a, it's
1: it's a historically dangerous, you know, area to yeah. to toil in. Obviously, Milwaukee found success in it, but because Giannis is one of, if not the best player, um, in the league, and I just think. This is very much a, a possibility of a path that Cat tries to take. And it will be interesting to see how Sashin Gupta or whoever is running the Timberwolves next summer right. handles that because you don't have to say yes to the right. Cat's demands in, in that sort of way. And because you deem them maybe not a good idea. And if you do that, now you are the one who is basically quote unquote forcing him out of town by saying, We're not going to do that. You're not going to be happy as it's currently constructed. Let's make a trade. We're going to trade you. You're not, you're not requesting a trade. We're going to trade you to, you know, recalibrate around ant or or whatever, whatever right. it may be. So right. there's just right. this, there's this fascinating decision tree that is coming. It is coming this this summer. And and it's why. I think it's frustrating as a fan to go, oh my gosh, like you want to trade and build around Ant. Well, you you can have 10 first round picks and you're not going to get a player as good as Carl Anthony Towns. True. But that is not the context of the situation. This right. this is the is the scenario. If you, you of course you want to keep a, a good player like Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards together, they are 20 and 26. They are young. It seems odd to blow up that pairing. But as we know, the collective bargaining agreement in the NBA and contracts shape the chessboard in the NBA.
2: And also, I need to point out to people who like to dream up these scenarios and like to telegraph, all, get so-and-so for so-and-so and uh, don't mm-hmm. do this or get rid of this guy or keep this guy or whatever. The shape of the puzzle pieces is always morphing. They mm. are not stagnant puzzle pieces. Mm-hmm. Guys who fit together two years ago may not fit together now. Guys who didn't fit together six months ago may fit together really well now. It has to it depends on the coach, It depends on maturity arcs. It depends on uh, surrounding pieces. Yeah, all kinds of things. And putting together a team, Especially in a in an environment as dynamic as roster building has become in the NBA, is it's not a crapshoot, but it is not a science. It's fortune telling as much as anything now, mm-hmm. and and as a result, um, you know, I kind of like the idea of a, a a dedicated, compassionate bean counter like uh, Gupta. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'll I'll take his intuition you know, as well as anybody's at this point in time, simply because I don't think his ego is so bound up in it. But before all that happens, I want to see, and this will probably waylay the conversation a little bit, which is, you know, probably I'm due for it right now, um, (laughs) is uh, what about if we let Kat and D'Lo run some pick and rolls, for Christ's sake? I mean, I don't understand the... The avoidance of that Um, bizarre because it has two players working in sync, doing things that they both have proven to do well. And I'm I'm on record as being a skeptic as to why you got D'Lo in the package you got him for us because he was such a great pick and roll player with Cat. But that was the initial rationale of Gerson Rosas, and that rationale. His stated
1: been, rationale. His stated rationale has been
2: totally ignored, and every now and then there was a play the other night when they ran it, and it went really well. Right. You know, well, I mean, it it's was so like a zebra. You know, hey, what do you know? <laughs> you know, that was a pretty cool looking thing we just saw. Uh, it,
1: it, the, to the Rosa's point, it's like all right, stated reasoning for getting De'Angelo Russell, amongst others, of being a scorer, but stated reason is high-level pick-and-roll player will come together terrifically with our elite pick-and-pop player we we already have in. But the incongruence is then going out and hiring a head coach that his stated stated belief is as little pick-and-roll as necessary. Pick-and-roll is like a break glass in case of emergency sort of thing because, as he says all the time, his... His desire is flow. Pick and roll is in nature stagnating. It, it It is. So whatever Rosas was like envisioning, and I know D'Lo came in before Chris Finch, but we also know that a lot of the Chris Finch <laughs> pieces were in place well before they were set. Yeah. Um, it's it's bizarre. And, and quite frankly, just a really
2: bad move. And it's <laughs> so, unfair to D'Lo. It's probably right. unfair to Cat, but it's certainly unfair to D'Lo because, um, dude, remember D'Lo and Jared Allen in Brooklyn? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I and mean, I, I've I've loved Jared Allen for a long time. I mean, you know, uh, Ricky and Jared Allen in Cleveland now. Woo. Oh my goodness, I know. <laughs> and that big line, wait till that big line gets a hold of the Wolves front court. I mean, you know oh. what I
1: noticed though? Cleveland is like the Wolves know, are they, dead last in rebounding, and the Cleveland's Cleveland's like. Third to last, and I think Philadelphia within is second to last.
2: Really good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I I, I mean it fair.
2: isn't necessarily about rebounding. That they use their size really well in terms of both rim protection and just in terms of deterring deterring uh.
1: Well, you know, Mobley's just a stud.
2: Mobley's a great guy. Mobley was the guy that everybody thought uh Okongu would be. At least I thought I was skeptical
1: on Mobley. Honestly, I was skeptical on Mobley. To... Yeah, I
2: didn't pay attention. You know, I don't I don't follow the college game, especially in the draft. If the Wolves don't have a pick, I figure I'm wrong As you know, the only guy I've ever been right about in the draft. I took one look at the guy and I said, that guy sucks. He'll never be a good NBA player. It was a shame to be. <laughs> I saw him. I said, anybody who takes that guy is is it for a world of hurt? You know?
1: You know, the, I, ironically, when I was when I was going through your column today, I, I wrote it down in, in my notes when you were talking about the Wolves offense, just stagnant and quite gross in the half court and inaccurate,
2: what, unimaginative, and indolent are the three words I used. Right. I
1: I, I think um, what came to my mind was was I, I haven't historically been a, a huge draft guy either, but but during the pandemic, um I watched all those guys, yeah, you know, you got no, into nothing it. to do. Uh, and so Anthony Edwards, I, I watched every, every offensive possession, every defensive possession, but specifically to the offensive possessions at Georgia, the offense felt so much like the wolves offense feels now. And it's, it's almost hard to characterize because it doesn't totally make sense when you have you, when you have Anthony Edwards, who's this brunt force at the rim who, yes, questionable, you know, shot selection, and this and that. But he also has this ability. You saw it at Georgia, multiple hand finishing and passing this. I this guy who should not only be a scorer, but somebody who should inspire playmaking. Right. Yet both at Georgia and on the Timberwolves, the offenses when he's on the floor stagnate. And and we put a lot on Dilo As we as we have today, we talk we you know, we're harsh on cat when when whatever happens with him, stray voltage and such. Some of this, and I don't even know how to exactly like articulate it or bullet point it out, but I do feel some of the offensive stagnation is attributable to Anthony Edwards and just the way he plays basketball in the half court that has a little bit of a delay to it in, in mm-hmm. some sort of way. And and it's, you know, certainly could be something he's grown out of, but thus far from Georgia to last season to this season, he hasn't, and offenses too too often stagnate when, when he's on the floor.
2: I agree with everything you just said. I will insert the caveat that when somebody is just as miraculously gifted as he is, there is a tendency to stand around and watch what he does next, even if you're a teammate. Mm, true. You know, you think all of a sudden, because you see it many times where Ant is at the top of the key. And you could just tell by his forward, you know, he leans forward a little bit and you're thinking he's going to go, he's going to go. <laughs> and the last thing that you want you don't want to cut, you don't want to go to the corner and distract them. You just want to stay put and watch him try to thread his way through six guys because he has Sick. in the past. <laughs> and, and on the other hand, um, what, all three of those guys need to do is make quicker decisions, for God's mm-hmm. sake. I mean, <laughs> dribble, 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 dribble. You got three guys. Finch says that he's all about ball movement and movement off the ball. Neither thing is happening. It nope. makes Chris Finch look really bad. And his his paralysis in the face of this is making him look worse. I'm a big Finch guy. I've gone right. on record saying that, you know, I think he's the best coach this team has had since Adelman, and maybe Adelman's peer if he becomes as good as I think he can be, and Adelman is a Hall of Fame coach. Um, but he's not covering himself in glory on offense, and I will say, on the other hand, as a, a, a Finch, Bobo, or whatever you want to call it. Um, a Finchy yeah Finch, you know, i hate that i, I hate that Finch, I, just, I know I hate you it. It. <laughs> I hate it it just sounds so you know so puny uh, who wants to be called fitchy for sake? anyway it's uh it's,
1: it's 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 interesting i i what what i what i talked about on, on one of the more recent pods was this idea that the imbalance of the roster which is which is pretty undeniable plus the lack of cohesion between the big three which both of those things, Finch is somewhat—you um, know—he he holds some blame in for sure, but to some extent, it might just be a unsolvable puzzle given the roster that he was handed. And and it's it's interesting because it's starting to have an adverse impact on the perception of Chris Finch on this team, who outside of Anthony Edwards was right. the most unassailable gem on on this team, and now Couldn't and now more. people are. Our people are starting to question it, right? And and
2: so as they should, as they should. Now, on the other hand, give the guy credit for this defense. He yeah. he is he has flipped the I'm still not as high man. on it. <laughs> but I don't care yeah. whether you are or not. I just wrote a whole <laughs> column about it for God's sake. Uh, he has put together a defense that is the almost the mirror opposite of what the wolves used to run. Yeah. And and even a skeptic like you watching the games has to admit yeah. it's a pretty fun defense to watch for sure. These guys are flying around and you you've lit a fire under some people's rear ends. You brought in some people that are perfect to run it. I mean, and Finch. I mean, when uh, Joe, uh, whatever his name was, I don't even remember his name anymore. The guy who went to Washington was the defense. Joseph Blair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joseph Blair. Um, when he left, I mean, Fitch talked to me that very day, and I think he could have cared less, you know? <laughs> I mean, I really think yeah. that, you know, and then when I mentioned Nelson Turner and, you know, how that affects, he pretty much told me, hey, it, the defense has been my thing from the from the jump here. Right. And Nelson Turner said he knows what he wants. It's my job to give it to him. I mean, right. there's no secrets that the changes in the defense thus far this season and i think they've been the best thing about this team this season thus far i might give finch, you that is finch is doing i don't know yeah. i guess bad competition <laughs> but i would also say that the you're saying that some things might not be able to be solved i would like to see some effort to try to solve them and mm. i don't think uh, my sense of Finch is that he is still in "let them sort it out" mode, and I think that needs to change right quick. Well,
1: what what I think is interesting related to all of it is the happenstance of the situation of Sachin Gupta, you know, running the show, and as Chris Finch's star falls, if it does, and mm-hmm. I think it has to some extent uh, through a four or nine start to a thirteen game season. Um, you have to, if you're Gupta, in the back of your mind, be thinking about making this guy look good. You don't want that star to fall because his star is tied to you. Yep. And and so I'm just saying, if I was in Gupta's shoes, I mean, I would have been thinking about it from day one as soon as I got, because I don't think the roster's put together well. But you, I would be even more intentional now about changing this roster. For the obvious flaws that it has, but also for the negative externalities that it's it's having on a very important person in your organization and a person that's very important to Gupta's future here. I, I would make right. a move just to make Finch look better.
2: And There's personally, value they, they swear by each other. I mean, they both just gush. When they talk about the other, and eggs, not it's and really, not Rosa's style, a really style. strong personal relationship. Yeah, no, right, genuine, it's sincere. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: pointed out. No, so it's those two are those we two are to get tied Rosa's together. The back
2: of our hand here toward the end.
1: <laughs> well, I'm I'm sure he's done the same to us, so it's that's all right. Um, the I, I don't know. I, I just I think it's it's an interesting dynamic there. I am if there's anything I'm most fascinated. To figure out about this season is what Gupta's going to do when when the trade deadline comes and and really what I feel confident in saying is I know he has a very different uh, philosophy in terms of roster construction to right. Rosa's but we don't have evidence of or really suggestions of what that difference looks like so as somebody who's into that you know. Sort of thing, roster construction, the idea of building. I'm fascinated to see how how Gupta builds, and and I think there's a, I think there's a fire being lit under his butt, given yeah, that this team has started four and nine.
2: What's funny is, I, you know, one of the reasons I think these pods can be interesting is we have very very different ways of looking at the game, and <laughs> right, yeah. you're already you know telescoping what's going to happen you know in February and beyond, uh, if not before then. And I'm thinking to myself, just get the, the offense together, <laughs> keep the defense in the state it's in, and make a little run. I mean, this yeah, team. No, I mean, yeah, that's no, important no, too. But, but, but yeah. I mean, that doesn't get said often enough currently. Everybody's back in default mode of, you right. know, trade oh, cat, This oh, team yeah. sucks, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, as somebody who I would say seven out of 10 times, are is more cynical about the fortunes of this team than most of the fans. I I'm, I'm here to say that I have a, a more faith in the raw materials that are on board right now um than and I me. have well than you and and most people I think. I mean the, yeah. the way I'm reading the room it's it's essentially you've got a serviceable defense. I mean, that's that's a gift. That that's something nobody anticipated that Facts. you were going to have yeah. a defense that could keep it together. And I know you would. You're just letting me go. But and rather than no, no, no. I,
1: I I okay. But I don't think the defense. The defense has exceeded my expectations. Right. It's just not my perception of the defense is not where where yours was. And I actually don't think it's that different because I asked you at the game when we were sparring. <laughs> About where you thought this team was going to finish defensively, and you said fifteenth, right? Yeah, that's and that's not that's not exact. That's not an unrealistic expectation. That's not you saying, "Oh, I think they're going to be a, a top ten defense." Oh no, they in, can't. In the, they, in the can't. League they don't have any
2: rebound. I mean, <laughs> yeah, and,
1: and right. they also
2: can get crushed mm-hmm. by, by. I mean, uh, the Clippers will beat them twelve out of thirteen times. Yeah, I mean, they have no answer for a rugged, deep, physical team. That has, a good the ar- that has the arrogance of knowing they can win good games. You know, uh, Dude,
1: That's the single scariest thing, I think, if you're a Timberwolves fan right now, if you care about the immediate, the, these next 5-10 games, right. is the book is out. Play them rugged, guard Cat with the four, ignore Vanderbilt, Okogi, McDaniels, and, and fluster this team into being full of stray voltage we've seen right. orlando do it we've seen the clippers do it three times we've right. seen the suns do it it irritates this team in in a way that they do not really know how to handle and credits them a little bit better in the phoenix game against against the, the when jay crowder was in that spot but it, but phoenix wasn't dogmatic with it they went with they went with aton on uh on cat when mcdaniels was at the four they right. only went with it when uh when Vanderbilt was out there next to him, so you know there's there's degrees to this, but but man, that when we're talking about the immediate, yeah, we got to synergize the big three, but you got to figure this out because there is there there is a book. The Phoenix Suns would not have guarded Cat this way; they never have, or they didn't right. last year in the times they right. played him. They would have right. never defended them this way if they had not watched film on the three Clippers games and the Orlando game, which broke the Wolves' offense by guarding Cat with a small. That's... Well, the
2: real the real test will be how Utah does because mm. Utah. I mean, that's a fascinating. They've always Cat has always given them uh, weirdness in terms. They haven't been able to figure out how to match up with Cat. They're probably one of the most successful ways is having go Bear play out of position on Cat
1: yep. and ride with him. it
2: anyway. You know. Yeah, um, remember
1: that back to back they had two years yeah, ago against was, them. Cat, Cat yeah, killed it was, them. Yeah. And then the next game, Gobert guarded him like he was Patrick Beverly. Exactly. and and Cat had ten points. I remember that. It was, yeah, I, mean, I, I love the a, chess. It was, great, it was a great.
2: It was a uh, great rondeley, no doubt about it. Yeah. But I do think you need to have a situation where um, you lower the throttle on chaos. You need to. Uh, the more chaotic you can make the opposing offense play the better your own offense will be. I'm I'm pretty confident of that after seeing these first 13 games, because it frees up, all the chemistry questions dissolve into mm. the moment. You know, somebody coming down the floor, somebody's running on the right side. It's obvious, you know, D'Lo isn't gonna ignore Ant flying down the right wing if he's got the ball in his hand. Um, Cat isn't going to ignore a double team as the if there's only if they're playing four on three and two of those guys are on cat, he's more likely to quickly find the open man than to indulge in stray voltage. Um, chaos is a, a, enhances decision making on this team, mm-hmm. and that chaos can be created the way the wolves like to play defense anyway. Now, is it risky? It's really risky. Um, especially if you have the personnel to uh, counteract the chaos with just simple talent sure. and bulk, you know um, Sacramento is not one of those teams in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. So I would like to see a very chaotic defense sure. against Sacramento. A um, little Lou Dort on Fox action. Uh <laughs>
1: Right, right, which only you and I understand.
2: <laughs> um well, people saw that game. Lou Dort picked Fox's pocket and then to win it, even more miraculously, drove the length of the court, did some hang time while a guy partially blocked his shot and put it in. I mean, that was a wonderful play. He's
1: a two way player, man. He's a two-way yep. player, Lou Dort. Lou Dort, right. Um all right, Brett, we gotta we gotta go to this Wolves Kings game. Uh now. I appreciate you. Cutting out some time here on on Wednesday to do this again. Check out Britt's piece on the on the Wolves' defense that he is as excited about as as I. <laughs> well, it as was I a reaction remember.
2: piece, you know. Yeah. Two, one, the two before were I decided not to write immediately after a game because you're still invested in what you just saw rather than taking a moment to a totally. bigger bigger picture. And that was fun when I had to do the cat reaction piece after he, you know um you right. know won an oscar wine uh, yeah. for uh you know being uh you know starring in some tennessee williams play in his own mind but uh you know it was, it was a perfect perfect thing to react to but right. um I, I i enjoy a little bit more thought sometimes so that's right. what happened
1: no it, it's a it's a good one and it's, it's gonna be interesting to track you know what i mean like it, yeah, what's gonna exactly. happen here they well, they wind
2: up twenty seventh, yeah.
1: and you'll go, "Hey, remember what you thought they had?" <laughs> or, or you know, the the whole right. study. You know, we, yep. we we don't know to be to be determined. Well, he's Britt at Britt Robson on Twitter. Check out his work at uh, at Min Post uh, that you, you can read there. Um, I will not be having a post game uh, pod after tonight's Kings game because it's back to back. So I will be back to talk to y'all next after the San Antonio game on on Thursday. Until then, he's Britt. I'm Dane. Talk to you soon.
2: How I'm feeling better hoping never stop, yeah. Green it off so you can find me in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around.